0: This is Radio Energy News.
1: With the latest roundup for Edinburgh Napier News, I'm Georgia McAndrew. Here are this afternoon's headlines. With 11 local authorities across Scotland being moved into Tier 4 today at 6pm, including Glasgow, we discuss the new coronavirus changes and what they mean for Scotland. As Christmas approaches, universities have rolled out non-compulsory testing measures for students who are travelling home this winter. We ask, are these measures a good idea and should students be travelling home in time for Christmas? Green travel and transport has been hot on the agenda this week. In Edinburgh, extensions of the eco-friendly tram system have been approved and in the wider UK, Boris Johnson has brought forward the ban on petrol and diesel cars to 2030. We consider the effect of the rise of environmentally friendly transport on the UK transport industry. Despite infection rates levelling off across England and Scotland, according to the latest data from the Office for National Statistics, 11 local authority areas will today be moved into Scotland's toughest coronavirus level tonight at 6pm. The level 4 restrictions will affect most of the west of Scotland and will remain in place until the 11th of December. In the Lothians, however, Edinburgh is set to remain at level 3. Our political correspondent Stephanie Allison has followed up on what this means for the areas affected. This week's coronavirus review for Scotland provided
2: some good news for Edinburgh. The capital will remain at level 3. This means nothing will change for the city with a ban still in place for non-essential travel, alcohol sales at indoor and outdoor venues and the continued closure of all leisure and entertainment venues. Neighbouring Midlothian will go down to level 2 from Tuesday the 24th with the main differences being things like cinemas remaining open and indoor hospitality closing later at 8pm. In-home socialising is not permitted and the rule of six still still applies. Edinburgh councillor Andrew Johnston from the Scottish Conservative Party spoke to us about this decision and what it means for local residents.
3: I I think it it makes things very difficult with with the new rules that you can't leave your your, uh, local authority area and I'm I'm unhappy that the, the guidance on how exactly that will be enforced, if it will be enforced and how it will work, still isn't available and we're told that that will come out on Friday. So I think that the Scottish government had time to prepare for that. They could have consulted um, in a more effective way with businesses and i think that if they had taken this decision about the west of scotland and glasgow in particular earlier we may not find ourselves in the position that we are in now
2: but not everyone will feel the shackles loosen from six o'clock this evening 11 local authority areas in scotland will move to level four uh, these areas are the city of glasgow Renfrewshire, East Renfrewshire, East Dumbartonshire, West Dumbartonshire, North Lanarkshire, South Lanarkshire, East Ayrshire, South Ayrshire, Stirling and West Lothian. These are the words confirming the fate of 2.3 million Scots. The First Minister has this afternoon reaffirmed that much of West Central Scotland will go into the highest of five levels of restrictions from 6pm this evening. This means all non-essential shops will close as well as gyms, libraries and hairdressers. However, schools and universities will remain open. A ban on travelling out with your council area will also become law. I spoke with Stirlingshire resident Nicola Thompson, who has not only had the COVID-19 virus, but has lost a close friend to it, to find out what she thinks of the new restrictions. The measures have to be taken, regardless of whether you like them or not. It's for everybody's benefit. When you were recovering from contracting COVID, did you ever feel sort of resentment or were you ever angry towards those who did flout the rules? No, I get angry with those fouting nonsense and not taking responsibility and just saying, well, if you want to shield, shield. It's not my fault. And, And throwing it out there and making it everybody else's responsibility when we should all be responsible. We all have to go into lockdown. Innocent people like Stuart, who contracted the virus through no fault of his own, ended up being taken away in an ambulance from his home, his wife said goodbye to him on the 16th of October and she never saw him again. That's not... That's... How, she, how did she get over that?
1: In the latest chapter of the Edinburgh Tram saga, the City Council last night took the decision to go ahead with the £207 million investment plan after the extension of the system to New Haven had been thrown into doubt. Gianni Mastrongoli has more.
2: Thanks for traveling with Edinburgh
4: Trams. After councillors approved the continued construction of the timeline to the Heaven, builders have been given a green line to work on the sections next to Ocean Terminal and in Tower Street, Leith. The new line will provide a direct link for the people of Leith to the city centre and out to the airport. However, the Scottish government is still expected to inject extra funding into transport for Edinburgh to solve its economic crisis. Dean Anderson, customer service manager, speaks about the uncertainty surrounding future recovery. So immediately after lockdown, our customer numbers reduced to just a few percent of what we would normally experience at that time of year. As lockdown eased towards the end of the summer, our patronage slowly increased to around 30%. But as of today, with fresh restrictions in place, it's dropped to around 15%. Although the coronavirus pandemic has reduced the number of journeys on a per-person basis, which led to fears of the extension being cancelled, delays have been minimised and the project is scheduled to be completed by mid-2023.
1: This comes as the UK government's recently announced Green Plan focuses on a greener transport infrastructure, which is likely to have a long-term impact on the way we travel. Car dealerships are already witnessing a major upheaval. Elaine Catton has this report. This is
4: the sound of the future. Less than 10 years from now, car dealers like Philip Stewart of Camerons Volkswagen in Perth won't be able to sell petrol or diesel cars. But he doesn't seem phased by the timescale.
3: We are in definitely in a transition phase in terms of how we sell cars and how we fix cars and what, what this business model will look like in the next two to three years. So it's not very far out. So this business model as it stands doesn't work. Everything we're planning for was before 2030 anyway, so, so the government makes no difference to anything we're doing.
4: A dealership like Philips sells around 500 new cars a year. He sold 40 electric Golfs last year and has 100 electric cars on order for next year plus 50 plug-in hybrids. So how have his customers been adapting?
3: The 40 electric Golfs we sold last year had a range of roughly 120-130 miles. And every one of those customers leaving here thought, it should be okay. I think I'll manage. Might have to rent a car and again. So on, that that kind of conversation. But every single one of those 40 people left, if you were to ask them now what they think, they would come in and say, I don't know what I was worried about. It's been fine. I've not once run out of energy. So the range anxiety quickly goes when they own the cars. And and would I get any of those 40 customers back into an ICE car? Not a chance. Once they've gone, they don't come back.
1: Anti-poverty campaigners in Edinburgh are today protesting further budget cuts to social services. The activist group, who call themselves Another Edinburgh as Possible, have projected protest slogans onto several government buildings, including the city chambers, where they also staged a socially distanced protest. Campaigner Willie Black said that since 2013, the council's budget cuts have totaled £320 million. They plan to carry out £80 million of further cuts over the next three years. Edinburgh political activists have shown their support today for Jeremy Corbyn after his suspension from the party. The former Labour leader was suspended last month for anti-Semitic comments. However, his role in the party is yet to be decided. But a motion was agreed at a party meeting to support Corbyn in his readmittance. New Battle Abbey College in Dalkeith has been accused of mistreating students after a series of evictions during the pandemic. A student who wishes to remain anonymous has said she was evicted by the college in March after reporting a manager for neglect and favouritism. A second student was also evicted due to a paperwork mix-up and was denied food as a result. The school has claimed it is in discussion with the Scottish Funding Council about the Scott student's future at the college. Edinburgh Zoo has been forced to get rid of its monkeys and birds after suffering heavy financial losses due to COVID-19. The chief executive of the Royal Zoological Society of Scotland, David Field, has revealed the charity lost £2.5 million this year despite increased membership since the zoo reopened in the summer. In June, the charity warned it faced financial disaster if outdoor attractions couldn't reopen and confirmed it had taken out a £5 million business loan. A tale as old as time. You guessed it tax evasion. A study carried out by an independent international tax organisation, Tax Justice Network, has concluded that a whopping $472 billion is lost to tax havens every year. In context, that's the equivalent of 20% of the UK's health budget lost to tax avoidance each year. Diogo Augusto has more.
5: Nearly $450 billion. That's how much is lost in tax each year due to tax avoidance around the world. If you're wondering what that means, it means that countries lose the equivalent of a nurse's average annual salary every second. These figures have been compiled and analyzed by the Tax Justice Network, with data released by the OECD after 20 years of transparency campaigns. I spoke to Alex Cobham, president of TJN, about the meaning of these figures.
6: We're in a position now where you can imagine um, being able to construct um, uh, a global wealth distribution um, that would allow you to see the degree of inequality um, within individual countries and between countries and globally. You know, we know that wealth is much more unequally distributed than income. And in the pandemic, you know, you can see in country after country discussions about taxing wealth, using wealth to
5: protect public health. The report estimates that the equivalent of one-fourth of the UK's education budget is lost each year in tax avoidance, with the country ranking as the 13th worst in the world. British Overseas Territories, British Virgin Islands, Bermuda and Cayman Islands top that list. The United Kingdom's fiscal rules are also responsible for other countries losing over $40 million each year, that's 10% of the world total. Alex Cobham says this is not a broken system, but one designed to fail. I asked him what has been standing in the way of tackling this issue in the UK.
6: The government is now talking about austerity measures. They're talking about freezing, which means a, a real terms cut uh, in the salaries of public um, workers, of civil servants, um, people who have made enormous contributions to keep the country running and to keep people safe during the pandemic. This is the same government that still refuses, even though it's illegal, to publish contracts for some of the many billions of pounds that have been spent often with companies with no track record um, on things like procuring PPE um, and often with companies that are connected to members of the government. This is also a government that has a number of senior members with including the Chancellor with very significant assets um, where those assets uh, and their interests are not fully disclosed to the public the Chancellor had a blind trust, which, as Ed Davey said, the only people who are blind about this are the public.
5: Despite several attempts, the UK Treasury declined to comment.
1: And now for some national news in the wider UK. In the last few hours Sir Alex Allen, the government adviser who filed a report into bullying behaviour by Priti Patel, has resigned after Boris Johnson said the Home Secretary did not violate the ministerial code. The report was submitted eight months ago but has yet to be published. This has led to criticism from the Labour Party who have launched allegations suggesting a government cover-up.
5: The Prime Minister said
3: if there are allegations, Is he completely unaware of all the allegations that have been made over the last few days? Is he completely unaware of the resignation of a permanent secretary because of his treatment by the Home Secretary?
1: The Prime Minister has stated that he now considers the matters closed. Five and a half million workers in the public sector face a potential pay cap as the UK Treasury attempts to offset the highest level of government borrowing ever recorded last month. If the pay freeze goes ahead, millions of key workers will be affected, though it is likely that NHS staff will be exempt. Chancellor Rishi Sunak will announce a spending review next week. Dave Prentice, the General Secretary of Unison, has condemned the suggestion as a cruel body blow. Overseas, Hurricane Iota continues to cause chaos in much of Central America. The storm hit Nicaragua this week, causing a landslide and leading to seven confirmed deaths, adding to fatalities in Honduras and Pandama. This combines the damage caused by Hurricane Ita, which struck Honduras and Nicaragua just two weeks ago. The Honduran president, Juan Orlando Hernandez, has pleaded for help following over 40 deaths in his country. Security sources in Pakistan and Afghanistan are claiming that Ayman al-Zawahiri, the leader of terror group Al-Qaeda has died. Al-Zawahiri replaced Osama bin Laden as the head of the extremist faction in 2011. The Pakistani media are claiming that Al-Zawahiri died due to natural causes, after recurring rumours that he has been deceased For some time. The Vatican is investigating how the Pope's official Instagram account liked an alluring photo of a model on the social media app. A Vatican spokesperson said that Pope Francis was not involved in the incident as a communication team manages his social media accounts. Brazilian model Natalia Garbiotto, whose picture was liked, joked she was going to heaven after the incident. One thing that wasn't on students' Christmas list this year was a rapid Covid testing system, but it is 2020 after all. The Scottish Government has announced a rapid Covid testing system to allow the safe return of up to 80,000 students ahead of winter break. Although many students welcome the plan, they are not without their doubts. Students are particularly worried over return travel after Christmas and the non-compulsory nature of the testing system, George O'Neill reports.
4: In a statement to Parliament, Further and Higher Education Minister Richard Lockhead outlined the measures being taken by colleges and universities to support the safe return of students ahead of the winter break. Mr Lockhead said the plan is aiming to look after the well-being of students by enabling them to return home, while at the same time keeping them, their loved ones and communities safe. We spoke to Kieran Westbrook, student communications partner at Edinburgh Napier University, to find out how the university were planning to implement the system, why it's important, and any areas of uncertainty.
0: We have teamed up with the University of Edinburgh to provide free rapid tests to students who will be leaving their term time address to return to a family home for the end of this trimester. Ideally, students should get two tests three days apart. This testing programme is part of a UK-wide effort to help reduce the transmission of COVID-19 in society. This is a chance for students returning home to do so in a way that is safe for them, their families and wider society. Our students are intelligent and have been doing all they can throughout this pandemic to stay safe and protect others. We've already had students get in touch with us since we put out our first message about this. There is clearly interest in the opportunity.
4: It has been an anxious period for many students after they were warned in October that they may not be able to return home for Christmas. Since September, student discontent has been widespread, with many reporting they felt abandoned and mistreated by their universities. Their well-being has become an increased concern amid what many have described as a mental health pandemic. Here are some Edinburgh students' thoughts on the rapid testing plan.
2: The key thing that I actually took from the uni's email about the testing of students for COVID before heading home is the fact that it's not actually mandatory. I think that does raise some serious questions about how effective the testing is actually going to be, because surely those who don't really care about taking COVID home are just going to elect not to get tested and just go home anyway. As for whether uni should be allowing students to go home for Christmas, I think absolutely yes. I think there does come a point where you need to start considering mental health. It'd be massively detrimental to have students left in halls.
7: Being able to go home for Christmas is really
4: great, uh, means I get to spend it with my family which will be uh, really enjoyable especially after this particular year. Yeah, really happy they're doing it. It's a bit weird that we haven't been told anything about what's happening when we're coming back from the holidays. and. It's annoying that they kind of didn't do this at the start, so university students would be blamed for everything, like the rising cases. But I'm really happy to be getting home because I think it's been a really difficult time for everyone. And it'll be, I mean, Christmas is such a lovely time to spend with your families.
2: Well, to be honest, it's actually quite nice that they've finally considered um, the students because they sent us all back to uni and really encouraged us to come back, which I understand for educational purposes. But when you think about mental health and how much some students have had
1: to be isolating, um, it's really nice that they've actually given us an opportunity to be safe and go home for Christmas. Time for a sport update now with Dylan Cummings.
8: Aberdeen chairman Dave Cormack is demanding that clubs have plans in place for fans to return. The club lost £2.9 million this year due to a £1.6 million drop in turnover. He believes that if fans don't return soon, then the grassroots sections of the club will be negatively affected.
4: If we have to restructure, everyone's going to focus on making sure the first team is as competitive as it can be. So it's going to be the youth programs. It's going to be the academy. It's going to be all of the community programs. That's what's going to get harmed.
8: Strongman Tom Stolten became the first ever Scot to finish as runner-up in the World Strongest Man competition. The 26-year-old from Enver Gordon finished behind Ukrainian Oleksiy Novikov. He was accompanied to Florida by his elder brother and fellow strongman Luke. Speaking on his official YouTube channel, he believes he is on the pathway to success.
6: Tom Stolten, the second strongest man in the world, the first Scotsman to make podium. I battled tired,
7: didn't let my head go down, and uh, the biggest shot for me was winning a log. I'm glad I won a log press, so yeah, that means everything's improving and going in the right direction.
0: In second place, and King of the Stones, the Albatross, Tom Stolman!
8: In an emotional interview with Sky Sports, Connor Ben, the son of legendary boxer Nigel Ben, said he plans to unleash his anger on his opponent, Sebastian Formella, on Saturday night. Saturday night I take that frustration out on my opponent and that's exactly what I'ma do. I've worked too hard to get to where I am now, fit to let it just slip between my fingers and let an opponent get in my way. Now I'm gonna go in there and prove everybody wrong. Scottish rugby have announced their lineup ahead of their match against France at Murrayfield this Sunday in the Autumn Nations Cup. Head coach Gregor Townsend has confirmed five changes to the squad. The Autumn Nations Cup has replaced the usual Autumn Internationals typically held at this time due to COVID-19 restrictions. Upcoming football fixtures include Hearth travelling away to Dunfermline tonight, whilst Tibbs welcome Celtic to Easter Road tomorrow.
1: You're listening to Edinburgh Napier News with me, Georgia McAndrew. And now for the traffic and weather update. There's a slight delay on the A720 between the slip road of A71 and Old Craig Hall Junction roundabouts, moving eastbound due to roadworks, which are scheduled to finish this evening. Please account for extra time whilst travelling through there. An incident on the B800 between Echlin Junction and Ferrymore Roundabout has caused heavy queues with all westbound lanes restricted. For those venturing over the Queensferry crossing tonight, between 9pm and 3am, a 40mph speed limit has been introduced due to low winds. If you have any travel updates, please contact our travel hotline on 0445 800 800. The weather in Edinburgh today remains a cloudy 11 degrees and dry overnight with temperatures dropping to 9 degrees. Over the weekend, Saturday is expecting light rain in the morning but brightening up some sun in the afternoon. Sunday is looking cloudy but dry and don't forget to wrap up warm as the temperature drops to a chilly 5 degrees. Great news for Scottish literature last night as Scottish author Douglas Stewart won the Booker Prize, one of the world's most coveted awards in literature for his debut novel Shuggy Bane. Christopher Henson reports.
0: Douglas Stewart has become only the second-ever Scottish winner of the Booker Prize, the yearly award for the best novel in the English language. "Suggy Bain, an autobiographical story about a young boy growing up in poverty in 1980s Glasgow, is the culmination of a 12-year writing process. I spoke to Brian Ferguson, arts correspondent for The Scotsman, about what this means for Scottish literature.
7: Well, on, on several levels it's fascinating. I mean, the, the most interesting thing, when he got nominated by... I'd never heard of the guy. And I thought, that's extraordinary. There is an author from Glasgow. His book wasn't even out yet in the UK. It was out in America, getting rave write-ups in America, but nobody had really written about him. He he seems to have come from nowhere. Part of the incredible story is that he wasn't a writer at all, he was a fashion designer. And he's written this book, but the book really is, all inspired by his childhood growing up in Glasgow, but he's, he's been written in New York over a huge period of time.
0: And also, you know, he's never written anything, you know. It's just an extraordinary story. What does this mean for up-and-coming writers in Scotland?
7: The thing to me that it just shows is that, you know, even if you're just writing a book just now, anything's, anything's, anything's possible if you're a writer. Or even if you're not a writer, anything's possible. It just says to me... Maybe there's a perception that a lot of these awards are the kind of dominated by the literary establishment, but I think that that has just been gradually dismantled over the last few years. I, I don't think Scottish literature has been at the doldrums particularly in recent years. I think it's probably punched above its weight, but we just have not had a Booker Prize winner. Ali Smith has been nominated a few times, but it is extraordinary that he's only the second one.
0: James Kelman was the last Scot to win the coveted award, taking the prize in 1994 with his novel How Late It Was, How Late. I asked Alice Orr, an aspiring novelist, about how Stuart's victory will inspire the next generation of Scottish authors. I think,
4: I mean, I personally think there's already a great generation of Scottish authors coming up. Um,
2: I have seen a lot of people coming out of university who are really, really excited to to be writing right now um, and to respond to the moment. I'm hoping that it will, rather than inspire people, I think it will inspire, perhaps,
6: agents and
0: publishers to recognize them. Shiggy Bane had been rejected by 30 publishers before it was released in the United States. The novel was one of four debuts shortlisted for the prize, which was taken from an original long list of 162 novels. Last year, judges caused controversy by naming two winners, Margaret Atwood and Bernardine Evaristo. Douglas Stewart, however, stands alone on the back of his commercially successful and critically acclaimed masterwork.
1: I'm Georgia McAndrew and this was Napier News.